Welcome to the Michael Jackson Case for Innocence podcast. I'm Cheryl, your host, and today you'll be hearing part one of my rebuttal to the Audible podcast, Think Twice. The purpose of this rebuttal is to show how Think Twice is unfair to Michael Jackson and doesn't measure up to journalistic standards. I'll be especially focusing on Think Twice as a case study in confirmation bias. Voice actor Derek Black will be helping me with the quoted material. And for all sources referred to in this episode, you can visit our website, michaeljacksoncasefornessense.com. This introductory episode sets up how Think Twice is one-sided and why it should be viewed with skepticism. In parts two and three, I'll cover examples of bias and misinformation in the podcast. And the final episode looks at alternative narratives and wraps up why you should be cautious before accepting the arguments of Think Twice. I'll begin by questioning the premise of the show. Think Twice is a 10-episode series asking the question, why are we still listening to Michael Jackson, despite the sex abuse allegations against him? The hosts are cultural commentator Jay Smooth and journalist Leon Nafok. And they explain in their first episode that they want to help us understand why we, the public, are still happily playing Michael Jackson's music, dancing to Thriller on Halloween, and enjoying MJ the Musical on Broadway. Here's Leon Nafok. And yet his songs are still all around us. Radio stations still have them on their playlists. DJs still play them at weddings. Major artists like Drake and Kendrick Lamar continue to pay tribute to Michael in their own music. And if you go to Broadway, one of the hottest tickets you can get is for MJ the Musical. They suggest there must be something unique about Jackson in his ability to defy cancellation. And their podcast is going to help us understand why he's different from other celebrities who have been canceled after being accused of sex abuse. Based on their introduction, it sounds like Smooth and Nafok suspect that Michael Jackson was guilty, but they're cagey and indirect about it. They don't clarify up front if this podcast is presuming guilt. But I immediately wanted to know, do these hosts believe Michael Jackson was guilty? Do they think that establishing guilt or innocence doesn't matter when discussing issues of canceling a celebrity? And do they believe a person to be innocent until accused? Here's what Jay Smooth says towards the end of the first episode. For us, this podcast isn't about honoring Michael. Rather, it's about figuring out how to take the love so many of us have for him, for his songs, his voice, all of the family and community that we built around him in our lives, and put all of that next to the distinct possibility that he may have done things we consider unforgivable. So right there, we hear an acknowledgement that there's some question about it. They're saying we don't know he's done anything wrong, but he definitely may have. So even though they admit uncertainty, Think Twice is jumping right into issues of how to view the art versus the artist. They're not slowing down to clarify for their audience all the evidence that should be considered before talking about cancellation. And for me, this next statement by Nafok is probably the most damaging to the integrity of their podcast. We're not here to try to prove that Michael Jackson was guilty or that he was innocent. Instead, we'll be using his story as a window onto the world around him. The world that shaped him even as he was shaping it. So Think Twice is not setting out to show you evidence of guilt or innocence. 
but they're using their narrative to make a broader societal statement. But the problem is, the story about Michael Jackson they use is often based on innuendo, unreliable narrators, unverified claims, and is explained through a lens that presumes Jackson is guilty of child molestation. It seems to me a disservice to the Think Twice listeners not to be transparent up front if you, the hosts, believe Jackson is guilty, and if so, to state why in detail. Nafok and Smooth were interviewed about their podcast on the NPR show It's Been a Minute with host Brittany Luce. I'll play some excerpts from this interview, and as you listen, notice the disparaging tone when Luce speaks of Michael Jackson and how she doesn't bring up what due process should look like before tarnishing someone's legacy. I want to talk about celebrity and legacy, how the famous tell us to remember them, how we actually look back on them, and ultimately what that says about us. And today, we're applying this to Michael Jackson. Oof. Billie Jean is and has always been a perfect pop song. But did anyone else cringe a little bit when hearing it? Or was that just me? Ever since his death and the release of the searing documentary, Leaving Neverland, many are reconsidering playing Michael Jackson at their wedding or putting him on their playlists. But his influence still reigns supreme. Journalists Jay Smooth and Leon Nafok are out with a new investigative podcast about MJ's legacy. It's called Think Twice. And it's a closer look at how Michael actually sat in the driver's seat with his public persona. And how the public grapples, or doesn't, with his memory. So from this introduction, we hear how it's leaving Neverland that led many to reconsider listening to Michael Jackson. Leaving Neverland is a 2019 documentary which features two men accusing Michael Jackson of sexually abusing them when they were kids. In this interview, Smooth says that it was Leaving Neverland that convinced him of Jackson's guilt. Before the documentary, Smooth indicates that he was in the We May Never Know camp. So it sounds like the basis for Smooth and Nafok's own judgment that Jackson was guilty was watching Leaving Neverland. Before this documentary, they just didn't know. But why was Leaving Neverland so convincing? Here's Jay Smooth. It was a crossroads for a lot of us where something we had told ourselves, well, we'll probably never know for sure. It became, well, this feels hard to deny after watching these folks speak about their experience. And that's certainly not the conclusion everyone came to. And I'm not here to prescribe what conclusion anyone should have drawn. But I think for a lot of us, that was a difficult crossroads coming to terms with what we saw. So Smooth admits that not everyone who watched Leaving Neverland was convinced, and that he wasn't going to tell people what they should conclude from the documentary. But he says the allegations were difficult to deny after watching these accusers tell their stories. And that's all we get in the way of explaining why leaving Neverland was the decisive factor in determining Jackson's guilt for these hosts, that it's difficult to deny after hearing their stories. And why didn't Nafok and Smooth have a firm opinion before leaving Neverland? After all, Jackson had been accused twice before, in 1993 and 2003. Here's another clip from their interview with Brittany Luce. You note in your series that up until that documentary, and I thought this was so pivotal, but up until that documentary, we hadn't really heard 
from any of the boys who Jackson was alleged to have abused. We'd only really heard from Michael. Jay, how do you think that affected the public's perception of that whole situation? The think twice position is that we, the public, were undecided about the first two cases because we hadn't heard the voices of the accused. They say leaving Neverland convinces you because you hear these men describe details of what they allege happened. So it's the vivid descriptions of abuse that's so persuasive. And if we heard from all of the accusers directly, we'd be more likely to be convinced. Well, I agree with that argument 100%. When we hear detailed and disturbing stories of abuse, we're more likely to believe the claims, especially when not presented with any contrary information, as happened in Leaving Neverland. And what's wrong with that premise, that if we all heard from the accusers directly, we'd be more likely to be convinced? What's wrong with the premise is that it ignores all the research on lying and lie detection. In our Deception Science episode from Season 1, we talked about the expert consensus that we're all terrible at lie detection, but we all think we're good at it. Even experienced law enforcement agents had an abysmal success rate of 14% when attempting to detect sincere-looking liars. The advice from those who study liars is not to trust stories from people you don't know well, no matter how convincing, compelling, or how much they make sense. You need to fact-check their stories and see if there's a history of deception. The experts tell us you aren't the exception to the rule. We can all be fooled, and we should all fact-check. But the hosts of Think Twice seem to believe they are the exception to the rule that they can just tell by watching a film that discloses no contrary evidence and no verification process. Nafok and Smooth never mention fact-checking after watching Leaving Neverland. They only say Jackson's guilt was hard to deny after hearing the stories in the film. The neglect by Think Twice to offer due diligence reminds me of when Oprah interviewed the Leaving Neverland accusers. Oprah told her audience not to spend their time dwelling on whether the allegations were true or not true, because there was a powerful message that was larger than Michael Jackson that could help many other victims of child sex abuse. Let's use the story to help others, she says. Don't focus on evidence. Here's Oprah. The reason to tell the story because the story is bigger than, as I said at the beginning, it's bigger than any one person. And don't let anybody in your world make it just about what Michael Jackson did or did not do. It's about this thing, this insidious pattern that's happening in our culture. Think Twice seems to be asking the same of its audience. Don't worry about fact-checking, because we've come up with a very compelling story to tell about being blinded by fame. And we get to share all of these fascinating interviews about Jackson's colorful life through the years of Motown, Thriller, The Trial. By ignoring fact-checking, the creators of Think Twice can neatly and artfully construct an alluring podcast narrative. The narrative that Michael Jackson's unique brand of fame protected him from being canceled once he was accused of sex abuse. But verifying stories is Journalism 101. It was one of the reasons Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey won the Pulitzer Prize for their work on the Harvey Weinstein scandal. These reporters won high praise specifically because they didn't just report accusations and presume guilt. They did massive research to verify claims. 
Here's a quote about Cantor and Tui from the New York Times in 2019. They spent months sifting through documents, uncovering secret payouts and non-disclosure agreements, and worked tirelessly to persuade his accusers to speak publicly. And here's a quote from Cantor and Tui themselves. We were actually relying on the classic standards of investigative journalism, tools our colleagues across the newsroom use every day. Careful interviewing, persistent digging, searches for documents, corroboration. The Weinstein story would have to be broken with the overwhelming force of written, legal, and financial proof. The Washington Post writes that it's the quest for that proof that makes Cantor and Tui's work on Weinstein an instant classic of investigative journalism. But where and think twice is the investigative journalism working to thoroughly corroborate these accusers' stories before launching a podcast that presumes guilt about its subject? Here's what NPR's Ethics Handbook has to say about accuracy in journalism. Our purpose is to pursue the truth. Diligent verification is critical. In our reporting, we rigorously challenge both the claims we encounter and the assumptions we bring. We devote our resources and our skills to presenting the fullest version of the truth we can deliver, placing the highest value on information we've gathered and verified ourselves. Right up front, the guidelines state that the pursuit of truth is their journalist's purpose, and that diligent verification is critical. But despite Nafok and Smooth clearly stating that they weren't pursuing the truth and trying to verify the allegations, they were given an uncritical platform on the NPR show. It's been a minute. NPR has been polled as one of the least biased news sources. So if an NPR show isn't going to challenge these journalists on their presumption of guilt, it makes it harder for us, the public, to see that we should be questioning it. But at the other end, we've all seen the sometimes devastating consequences of the media not fact-checking stories. In 2014, Rolling Stone magazine published an article alleging the gang rape of a UVA student by members of one of its fraternities. The author of the article did not try and verify the rape claims by the UVA student, and the shocking story of a college gang rape caused an uproar against the university. Here's a summary of what happened: The Rolling Stone article caused a nationwide firestorm. Students were protesting against the university. All fraternities were shut down, and there was targeted vandalism at the fraternity in question. But after other journalists investigated the story and the police investigation found no evidence, Rolling Stone retracted the story. The magazine and the journalist who authored the piece were found guilty of defamation, and the author was found responsible for libel with actual malice. Columbia University School of Journalism was commissioned to investigate what went wrong. The report found that Rolling Stone exhibited confirmation bias and failed to perform basic fact-checking. The author relied exclusively on the accuser's account without verifying it through other means. Many other media outlets stepped up to try and verify the allegations. And there was consensus that the allegations were baseless. There's clearly a lot of damage that's been caused by media confirmation bias and neglect in fact-checking stories. And other cases include the scapegoating of Richard Jewell in the Olympics bombing, or missing the early warning signs in the Enron scandal. And I observed this same kind of media neglect when Leaving Neverland first aired in 2019. Unlike the UVA rape case, in which outside reporters stepped up to do the work of verification, no one in the media attempted to verify the stories of Leaving Neverland before writing their damning reviews. They were only talking about how compelling their stories were. 
The boys loved Michael Jackson, so that's why they didn't disclose. And he used his fame to lure these boys and their parents with gifts and money and trips. It just all makes so much sense. Despite deception research universally agreeing that we can all be fooled, and that validation is always needed. No one bothered to fact-check the Leaving Neverland claims, because they were so confident in their own judgment that they were true. Think Twice distracts from the issue of verification when they point out how it's hard to prove something illegal happened in these sex abuse cases. In listening to Detective Smith, I was struck by how difficult the job of collecting evidence is in a case like this. How do you prove that something illegal actually happened? But Think Twice neglects to mention what you can find out through research, that these accusers are unreliable. They've made repeated false statements under oath, and their stories don't add up, when compared to known facts and multiple outside accounts. In episodes 12 through 18 of our season 1, we go step by step through the lawsuits of the Leaving Neverland accusers and demonstrate the rampant deceptiveness not only by these two men, but by their families and the filmmaker as well. However, the hosts of Think Twice don't mention the problems in the sworn legal documents of these accusers. In fact, they don't even source the lawsuits on their reference page. No, they simply say it was hard to deny the truth of the allegations after hearing their stories. Because the creators of Think Twice decided not to disclose the evidence in the sex abuse cases, the hosts don't have to spend the hours upon hours it would take to present it all. This leaves Nafok and Smooth free to entertain their listeners with colorful personal stories about Jackson's rise to fame by people from the Motown years, the Wiz, and his solo career. They use these lively stories not only to draw the listener in, but to build a narrative about how our love for Michael Jackson and his clever PR tactics protected him once he was accused of sex abuse. But the case they build clearly presumes Jackson was guilty of sex abuse. And this presumption reveals confirmation bias throughout all 10 episodes of their podcast. Confirmation bias is when we seek out information that supports our preconceived viewpoint. Journalism schools and ethics groups advocate being cautious to avoid confirmation bias. One of these groups that warns against confirmation bias is the Journalist Resource, an organization that's run by Harvard School of Public Policy. Its mission is to get more quality information into the media stream by relying more on evidence and research. Here's a quote from their site. When we test a hypothesis, we often exhibit confirmation bias. We're more likely to search for and interpret evidence that confirms rather than disconfirms the hypothesis. Confirmation bias can help us save time and energy when our initial hypotheses are correct, but they also create catastrophic mistakes. Learning to understand, spot, and correct them, especially when the stakes are high, is a valuable skill for all journalists. The statement continues with advice on how to avoid confirmation bias and cautions us against our own bias to presume guilt of an accused person. A simple strategy one can apply immediately is when testing a hypothesis, make sure to test if its negative is true. This is called a consider-the-opposite strategy. Our justice system assumes that a person is innocent until proven guilty, but many jurors, investigators, judges, and the public do not. Most presume guilt. Asking ourselves to explicitly consider whether an accused person is innocent can increase our propensity to consider evidence that challenges their criminal case. 
I don't think anyone would disagree that it's an accepted professional standard that journalists should take all precautions to avoid confirmation bias, especially when the stakes are high. But I saw no effort by the creators of Think Twice to take these precautions. So to conclude this first part of my rebuttal to Think Twice, I argue that confirmation bias is not only a fundamental flaw of the podcast, but it undermines its integrity. Think Twice does not follow journalism guidelines to consider the alternative, against their presumption of guilt. They never test the hypothesis that Michael Jackson was innocent. In the next episode, part two, I'm going to address some of the specific examples of misinformation and bias in Think Twice. It's not a line-by-line rebuttal, but I've chosen a few themes as representative of the lack of fairness and thoroughness that underlies the entirety of their podcast. For all source material in this episode, you can visit our website, michaeljacksoncasefernicence.com. And for a thorough analysis of the evidence in all four sex abuse cases, you can check out episodes 1 through 20 of season 1. Thank you for listening to the Michael Jackson Case Furnaissance podcast. Podcast.